evidence and answers. What is the attraction of the occult? How do young people get involved in the occult? Should we allow children to watch movies with occult themes such as Harry Potter? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guest, Dr. Richard Howe, will conclude their discussion on the world of the occult and explain the dangers of entering into this dark world. And then, you know, witchcraft, the witches that I've talked to, you know, the images we got is, you know, ladies in pointed hats flying around on a broom, eating little children and kind of things. But a lot of witches that I talked to, you know, you describe them pretty well. They seem to be nature worshipers. Yes. And so because they have such a view about the physical world or, or quote, nature, because they have that view, then they tend to be very pacifist and animal lovers and environmentally conscientious. And so I think sometimes we as Christians may find that some of the concerns that they have is similar to the concerns that we may have. We certainly don't want to just be a wanton neglect and disregard for the environment. You know, I hope that Christians will, will not be that way. We just have different motivations for it. As a Christian, we would see our relationship to the animal world and the rest of the physical world creation as a matter of stewardship, that God has created us to be his representatives to the rest of the human community, but also in terms of stewards over his creation. Whereas the witches, the Wiccans, the pagans will tend to regard nature as, as a goddess, as divine. And so that environmental uh, dereliction of duty is akin to rape in their mind. You have to treat the earth because it's like uh, Gaia's body, the whole Gaia movement, G-A-I-A which comes from the Greek word gay, which, is, which means earth. We get words like geology from that. So Gaia is like the goddess, goddess and the physical sphere earth is actually her body. So a Christian and a Wiccan may be both wanting to recycle, but we do it for entirely different reasons, for entirely different agenda and such. But yeah, in fact, I wrote an article, a cover story for the Christian Research Journal, uh, called uh, witchcraft, modern witchcraft, it may not be what you think. And I tried to argue that, you know, witches are typically very nice people, and they care about community, and they care about human flourishing. They just got the, they're looking for love in all the wrong places, so to speak. They don't understand our having been created in the image of God and what our responsibility is to him. But I think there are ways to try to reach out to them based on some of the common concerns we have as human beings. Now, Richard, where do psychics and astrologers fit in? So I really believe, Pat, that a lot of what people might think about the occult is just false. It's part of the false view of reality. Satan is a deceiver. So, for example, I would even argue there is no force as it's described in the occult. That's just a false view of reality. And likewise, with things like psychics who supposedly are able to bend spoons with their power, their mind, or are able to discern the future or these kind of things, I think is part of the deception. And a lot of that we get from Hollywood, I think, just the way movies have depicted it. And so the irony is that people have a view of the occult, which is very often the occultist 
view of the occult, not an, a truthful view of the occult. Because I would argue there aren't psychic powers. That's, there is no such thing. That's not the way we were created to be as human beings. They just don't exist. There aren't spirit beings with whom we can establish rapport. There are spirit beings, but they fall into two categories, and that's good and evil. And in neither of those are we encouraged in the scripture to try to cultivate a relationship with. And I've often asked people well, when, that may be sort of enamored with the spirit realm and the occult, so to speak, Ouija boards or whatever. I ask them, I say, well, do you think it's possible that there is an element of that realm that is malevolent? Because if they at least entertain the possibility, then uh, and if you listen to some testimonies of people who got saved out of this, they go, you know, it's not what I thought. There is something that's very sinister and dark. I think that's what we would describe as Christians and understand as Christians to be the demonic realm. So I think demons can mimic things, give people information, and make the person think that they have psychic powers or they can bend spoons, and it's not even what's happening. So it's just a false, a false view of reality that we, we have to, I think, disabuse people of. Yes. Now, Richard, I want to, uh, you know, you to elaborate on something you mentioned earlier. You know, what's the difference between true biblical spiritual warfare and when you're dabbling in occult worldview or even the animistic worldview? Yes. Well, you know, there's no question that we see in the New Testament episodes of exorcisms, for example. Uh, certainly Jesus uh, drove a lot of demons out of people and the apostles did the same thing in Acts, and we see this, but what is very conspicuous to me, and maybe this is something Christians can disagree over, I, I don't know, but it would seem to me that it's conspicuous by its absence that in the letters that the apostles have written to the churches, what we call the New Testament, the balance of the New Testament after the book of Acts, uh, except for Revelation, but those epistles that are written to the Christians, this is what Christianity is. It seems conspicuous by its absence of how little, in fact, nowhere really are we directed to be on this quest to cast out demons and do exorcisms and stuff. It's, it just isn't there. And I can't imagine that first century Christianity and it being nested as it was in pagan Rome wasn't surrounded by uh, demonic activities. We see that in the Gospels and Acts. Yet the apostles never really direct our attention to that. Rather, as I try to argue from 2 Corinthians 10, the spiritual war is a war about truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Paul says in the second chapter of Philippians, whatsoever things are true, that was the first of his list, think on these things. And then back to the 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about uh, tearing down arguments and bringing thoughts into captivity of Christ. I see the apologetic undertaking. That's really spiritual warfare. We preach the gospel, and then as we are, are met with opposition, we give our cogent arguments and evidence for the truth that God exists. He has these attributes. He's taken on human nature in Jesus Christ, and uh, he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we try to marshal the evidence for that. That, to me, is spiritual warfare. And uh, Norm Geisler, who was my mentor uh, as I was a student of his at Dallas Seminary back in the 80s, he told me, he said he, he never knew of any minister 
who went into deliverance ministries and made demon possession his main focus, who didn't eventually just go off at the deep end and oh, just wow. get so, you know, he just said it because it's just, a, it's the wrong, I think, kind of orientation. And you don't see it. You, you don't see the, the Paul telling the Corinthians, the Romans, now make sure, you know, every Friday night you have an exorcism service because you got to get these demons out. You go, no, you just, that's, that's between God. And I mean, I'll let him worry about the demons. What is our task? To go into the world and make disciples, to be ready at all times to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason that is within you with meekness and fear. That's our mandate. And then just let the demonic realm chips fall where they may. Uh, that's not my that's not my agenda. I don't think that's our agenda as Christians. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I teach world religions at the seminary here and at several churches. And sometimes I do what's called the temple tour. You know, I take uh, students or Christians in my classes to the different temples, the Hare Krishna temple, the Hindu temple, the, the Buddhist oh, temple. And some are just absolutely terrified to walk in there. They see demons coming out of the statues. And, That's right, yes. Um, you know, and they'll see me walk in there, and I'll, I'll touch one of the statues, you know, and they'll just completely, they'll see demons jumping on me, you know. And I yeah. said, look, look, read the book of Isaiah. You know, he's mocking these idols. They're pieces of wood or That's something exactly a silversmith. Right. He, he's saying these are nothing, you know, there's nothing. But That's they're right. Just, completely afraid and i mean and, that's yeah. part of the deception that's part of the deception because uh, you know uh, i used to do a lot of show and tell when i spoke on this subject a lot more at the peak of the rage over the new age and i would take show and tell which would include things like the satanic bible and so very often probably more often than not people would would wince and get chill bumps and they go i wouldn't have that book in my house and i go but the thing is, okay, so you, you'll never have a satanic Bible, but I can take the exact same false view of reality and put it in a different book, and you not only have it in your house, you probably study it at your church, and you never see the problem. So I think that's part of the deception that Satan wants people to think, well, as long as you don't have a satanic Bible in your house or you don't have a likeness of a pagan idol as a teaching thing like teaching world religion, as long as you don't do that, you're fine. And they go, no, you're not fine. All you've done is set yourself up for a subtle deception where the false view of reality does an end run because you're so worried about the physical book of the satanic Bible is as a physical book. I mean, they, they act like demons. They, they almost act as if demons are like fruit flies. You know, you leave a banana lying out long enough, then all of a sudden you see this little swarm. And so they're all, you think, well, how do you get rid of these fruit flies? Oh, you just throw the banana away. Okay, and then they're all gone. So I just got rid of all these these uh, things that I, I you know that, that I was using to teach, but I realized they were all surrounded by demons. I go, no, they're not surrounded. I, I tell you one quick story if we have time. Yeah. I, I got a call. Now, when you live at the time, I lived in uh, Mississippi, North Mississippi, small town. And uh, when you study the occult and the New Age, you get a kind of a reputation as a, as a Christian, right? Because <laughs> there are not a lot of people doing those kind of things. This would be back in the nineties, I think. And so I got a call from this uh, this woman who said, uh, hey, my sister lives now what we would call in Mississippi a trailer. Uh, others may call it a manufactured housing or mobile home. We all mean the same thing for, for the sake of this story. She says, my, my, my sister lives in a mobile home way out in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and it's haunted. She sees dark figures skulking about and when she's trying to fall asleep. Her appliances will come on by themselves. 
And we want to know whether if you would be willing to come to the trailer and bless it and get rid of these things. And I said, look, I, I can't get rid of roaches in my apartment. You know, so you're you're acting like these things are just little little pesty little bugs that you somehow do some spiritual pesticide and they run off. I said, here's the problem: somebody comes out to her mobile home, does a prayer, sprinkles holy water, whatever they do, and let's say all that stuff quit, no more skulking shadows, no more appliances coming over, and she thinks all of her problems are solved, but she will have never taken an inventory of how she stands before God which is really the whole point, to keep her distracted from, well, don't worry about Satan. He's not even part of the equation. You worry about him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, and how do you stand before? I said, so that's what I worry about. I said, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll be willing to come out and do a, a Christian perspective on the occult. And she said, that would be great. So a group of people and I met, and I think her sister came to the first one and never came back. She just wanted some exterminator to come in. I don't deny necessarily those things were happening, but my argument is those are part of the distraction and deception. So appliances come on in the middle of the night. I mean, that might I, I might regret that because I can't sleep with my vacuum cleaner, but maybe the demon of vacuum will be sad. I don't know. I mean, in other words, I don't set my agenda according to what all these demons think they want to do. Let them do whatever God lets them to do. I don't care because my responsibility is before God, not before them. So I don't set my agenda to manage their agenda, which I think entails I don't dabble in it. You don't you don't monkey with Ouija boards or horoscopes because these things I think can open one up to influences of these demonic spirits of this, of deception. Yes. Now, you know there are many who have believed they are demon possessed, and often when you look into their past, they were messing with the occult, you know, and they say, even if they are Christians, they still feel they are haunted by these spirits or demonic forces. Uh, what would you say to, to people like that? Yeah, I, I think with respect to Christians, I tend to use the word oppressed rather than, rather than possessed. Because I would argue, and this gets into some theological things that people, Christians sometimes can disagree over, but I I would argue that as soon as a person trusts Christ, that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized into the body of Christ, and they are a new creation. So there's, in a sense, if I can use the spatial metaphor, there isn't room for both God's Holy Spirit in us and a demonic spirit in us. But that's not to say that there can't be all kinds of strongholds that I think can be cultivated in one's life as they dabble. And not even just the occult, but this would happen in substance abuse or sexual immorality or some kind of agenda of self-aggrandizement and pride and money, or lots of things about the world that as it's fallen, which, by the way, John 5, 1 John 5 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So, I mean, everywhere you're going, there's the satanic, there's the demonic. It's not confined to just merely whether I did or didn't fight with a Ouija board. But I do think those things can make one more vulnerable. The metaphor I've heard, uh, I think Dave Hunt might have used this one, said if you're walking down a zoo, the midway of a zoo, and you walk by the lion cage, and it can roar and all it wants, but it can't do anything to you. He said, now, but if you get inside the cage, you still might not get eaten, but this time it's up to the lion, not up to you. 
And I take that to mean, look, we conduct ourselves as the Bible teaches us in terms of discipleship and Christian growth and maturity, the way that the, the apostles have instructed us in, in the New Testament. But if I get into the cage with these uh, occult trappings, you know, satanic Bible, and I'm starting to read it because I'm curious, not because I'm trying to expose it, as Ephesians say, expose the, the works of darkness. And I start playing with horoscopes just because I think it's kind of cool. I think a person can make themselves vulnerable to demonic influences. In fact, I have experienced that, not personally, but in counsel. When I was a graduate student at, at Ole Miss and a couple of co-eds who were Christians were dabbling with Ouija board, and it did something really freaky, and they came to me, what do you think about this? Again, you get a reputation. Uh, to study this stuff, and I told him, you, you need to leave this alone. This is not healthy. It can really begin to mess with your understanding of the nature of reality. And it, and one girl took the advice and basically walked away. The other didn't, and I think she ended up quitting school because she became so psychologically distraught. And I credit all that to the influence of demonic uh, activities. But I think the solution to demonic oppression is a person directing their energies back to the truths of God and his word and do and just following the same protocol, if you will, that all of us ought to be following. And that is, you know, confess our sins. He is faithful just to forgive us our sins. Try to stay in relationship with God. Uh, keep yourself connected with the local community. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Be under the authority of spiritual leadership who can help you uh, in discipleship and learning and just grow as a Christian. And then whether whatever else God wants about that demon, just leave that up to him. We just be faithful with what he's instructed us to do, as opposed to, say, trying to seek out some deliverance minister to cast the demon out. You go, you know what? The epistles don't tell us to do that. It tells us how to pursue the Christian life, and that's what I think we should be doing. Now, you mentioned uh, Ouija boards and other things of how people get roped or lured into the occult. There's other people that often ask me, what about the movies, like especially Harry Potter? You know, is that something we should be allowing our children to read or to go and see movies like that? The thing that bothers me about this, there's several things, but one is that I regret how things like Harry Potter or other kinds of movies uh, will do one of two things to people if we're not, uh, if we're not careful. One, it'll either make it into cartoonish it'll make it to where it's something that's fairy tale and silly so that when somebody tries to come along and really teach from the bible that uh, uh, who satan is and that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour it just strikes people as oh that just sounds like silly cartoon stuff it's just a movie so it trivializes these these spiritual issues of of who satan is and the demonic and that kind of stuff and or it can desensitize people to these mm, so that yeah. whereas I think a typical Christian or maybe even a typical American, irrespective of their Christianity, if you just walked up to somebody and said, hey, uh, you know, you know, this is a great book. Uh, you might want to read it. And you hand them a satanic Bible. I think a lot of normal people would just go, I don't want to read that. I don't. This is this just looks evil. They would just eschew that. But people can get desensitized. So that the shock of the trappings of the occult will all of a sudden become not only not shocking, 
but it might actually begin to look interesting, and I want to explore that. And so I regret how, and I've seen this over the decades when I've been studying the occult, and I tell people that, that I'm studying and that I'm speaking on these issues, they either laugh like, what, you, you think some witch is going to come flying on a broom if you got a long nose with a big wart and a black cat? And so they have this real trivialized perspective. Or they go, well, now, you know, what could be so bad about it? And they just get kind of desensitized. So Now, whether that happens every time somebody sees these kind of movies, I, I'm not trying to say. I just say that's a principled danger. So now you and I could probably start picking different movies. Well, what about this or what about that? And we would probably, maybe you and I wouldn't, but two people could. We could probably start finding examples of movies that we go, well, you know, but maybe that was not as bad. And all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to know where to draw the line. I'm thinking, for example, the Star Wars saga. I co-wrote a book with Norm Geisler on the religion of the force. But at the same time that I'm trying to expose this, the elements of the occult in the movie, and a lot of people are startled to see what George Lucas actually said he was trying to say, not what Richard Howe says George Lucas was trying to say, but they listen to George Lucas himself explain, this is what I'm trying to say. Nevertheless, despite that, I, I find myself a big fan of that of the franchise. I mean, I'm such a bad Star Wars fan. I actually like Jar Jar Binks. That tells you how bad, you know, tells you how bad. I, so people say, well, what about that, though? You're getting on somebody for Harry Potter. Now you watch Star Wars. And I go, well, you're right. Uh, if, I, if I have to be careful that I start, I don't want to lose sight of the degree to which I might be studying the Satanic Bible in order to expose the unfruitful works of darkness, as Paul says in Ephesians. And I'm reading it for some other ulterior motive. I have to be uh, careful about that myself, as we all do. And then we have to allow the liberty of our brothers and sisters of Christ to make that own decision for themselves as to where they, quote, unquote, draw that line. Because we can't just be completely insulated from Satan right. and his minions, uh -huh. because that's the whole world. The whole world lies under the sway. You'd have to live in a concrete bunker, and even that wouldn't be enough, because your own sin nature would be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we need to watch those with discernment. Try to teach, you know, to watch these kind of movies or engage these kind of books, you know, with discernment. And if the child Absolutely. doesn't have that, you need to go watch it with that child and have these great conversations you're talking about. Was this true? Was this real? I mean, oh, it's such a valuable thing to do. Absolutely. Because if we think, well, we don't do it in our home, it's sufficient that they never encounter it. Oh, no, they're going to encounter it through friends or at the school, or on the internet. So, it, yeah, I think that's so important. It's incumbent upon us as uh, nurturing children or discipling friends to be able and willing to help them see how, how does this comport with the truth? What is true and what is false about this? Absolutely. Yes, fantastic. Well, you've been listening to our interview on the occult with Dr. Richard Howe, Professor Emeritus of Philosophy and Apologetics at Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Richard, if they want more information on the things you're talking about and the articles you write, uh, where can they go for more information? So I'd love people to visit my relatively cheesy-looking website, richardghow.com. <laughs> I think all the links work, uh, richardghow.com, especially if you follow the, uh, the links to resources and then uh, PDF slide decks, all of my presentations that I do on various aspects of philosophy and apologetics 
I create slide decks in, in the PDF documents so that they can download all of those for free. And I've got other things that just explore the resources tab there at richardgl.com. And I'd love for them to do that. Fantastic. You're listening to our interview on the occult with Dr. Howe and great resources there on his website. So, Richard, thanks for being with us here once again on Evidence and Answers. Pat, thank you so much. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>